When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the opening installment of our wall-to-wall coverage of the 2024 Guinness Men's Six Nations Championship here on the KLNS Rugby Podcast. We start things off with a bumper tournament preview with a stellar panel to boot. Representing reigning champions Ireland, we have 42.ie journalist Gavin Casey and the fulcrum of Irish Rugby Twitter, Rugby Keen. So welcome back to the show, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks. I have to let the fulcrum of Irish Rugby Twitter get in there first. But thanks for having us, Kayon. Great to see you. Yeah, yeah, fulcrum. It's a, never thought of myself as a pivot of any kind, but there we go. <laughs> have to get the adjectives in early as always. But um, this year we do promise to have something that not any, I don't think any Irish podcast will have to offer with guests from across the competing nations and at least one in each and every show. So to open things up, we have two brilliant Welsh guests one of whom is a French rugby expert and journalist, and the other is a URC fanatic. So welcome back on, Ilta Daffod and Rap Pods, Harley Worthy. Welcome back on, guys. Good evening. Nice to be back. Yeah, thanks for welcoming me back. Appreciate it. It's great to have you on, as always. I'd just like to remind everyone that you can catch us across all platforms and also over on YouTube as well, if you want to see us roll our eyes at each other in real time, as always. We will start things off this evening with Ireland. They are the reigning champions, of course. And they come into this as second favourite, but without the likes of Johnny Sexton and Mac Hansen. Gavin, I'll start with yourself. It was a, a bit of an underperformance of the World Cup, considering a quarter-final exit. But if Ireland need to need to bounce back, it feels like they've picked a squad that, that just heightens the feel of let's win and let's win now. Yeah, and I think that's always the case with Ireland, Caelan, given how important the Six Nations is to the RFU's bottom line. We've never really been uh, able to afford the luxury of an experimental year it's always finished as high up the table as is humanly possible. And more recently, it's about trying to win championships. And I think when you're defending Grand Slam champions, I know it feels like a long time ago now, you want to defend that. <laughs> like you literally want to defend your title. And um, I understand if people were a little bit underwhelmed by the squad that was named in the sense that there were no new caps and it felt a little bit samey, very much a continuation of what had gone on in the very recent past. But then when you have those conversations that you inevitably do with other rugby fans the, the week of that squad announcement and even as we approach the tournament the question is who would be in there or who would you rather see in there than some of the guys who are and I don't know that there were like really leading contenders who were unbelievably unfortunate to miss out in the squad um, certainly of the uncapped guys you could maybe make a case with Joel Joyce and Connacht but again like who, you leave, who do you leave out how much would he really have been involved John Hodman, the same case to be made there, I think. And so it's kind of one of those championships. It feels like it will only become exciting to everybody in this country anyway on Friday morning when you're on the final run in towards kickoff at Marseille and that cauldron of a stadium and the atmosphere that awaits Ireland. And look, from that point onwards, we'll, um, the country will be Six Nations man again. But a bit of a slow build-up. And again, like not a great deal to say about Ireland squad, apart from the fact that it's very strong. It's missing Johnny Sexton, and we'll see how they go without him. Yeah, absolutely, and it is it is strong, and that's kind of what brings the optimism, even if 
the season so far has been a bit up and down, I think it's fair to say, from a provincial standpoint. And Keane, like, yes, it's settled, but there's still selection decisions to be made. Obviously, at 10, it feels like that's Crowley's shirt. 14, probably between Larmer and Nash. What way do you think Ireland will go? Will they Will they go 7-1? Will they go 6-2? Or do you think we'll see Anthem off the beaten track? I don't know. Uh, like six two, they're they're Faz is a pretty six two averse coach. I think we've only seen it maybe was it once, twice in his entire once tenure. At most, once. I think. Yeah, I think I, we did see it once. I think, and that was it then. Um, so you got your you you got your standards uh, pretty much across the board. But I think it gets interesting uh, in the second row. Apologies, new dog here <laughs> getting getting her or in. Um, so I think. Other than the front row, which is fairly steady and so you know it's not going to change very much at all, it's the second row. It starts getting interesting. I can see uh, Byrne and Ryan starting, but just before we were going to uh, record, uh, some I think it was the Irish Times came out with the first. It's kind of pretty strong rumors that um, McCarthy could well get a nod to start. I didn't even have him on the bench. I thought it was going to be very much um, kind of experience all the way to try and cushion um, the change over at 10. Um, but if McCarthy gets in, you could see Byrne maybe go to the back row and um, O'Mahony go over to seven. Um, yeah. It's certainly a possibility. And, you know, that that then does give you the three solid line-out options um, with McCarthy not having the exposure at that level. Um, but yeah, second row, it's going to be James Ryan and Tyg Byrne is what I thought. I thought Ian Henderson for the bench, but yeah, could well be McCarthy in there. Might change a lot of things. Um, back row, can't leave out Doris. Um, just not possible to do. He's he's a freak of the best kind. Um, but yeah, O'Mahony's captaincy kind of uh, means that there is there is there is a berth for him there, either at six or seven, and it is either going to be Van der Fleer or likely Byrne who's going to miss out off the back of that. Um, Possibly, and again, who who's going to be on the bench depends on on how all all that uh, well how all that works out. Could be Baird. Um, he's been showing really well at six recently for for Leinster, so um, it could well be. It's Crowley definitely at ten. Um, for starter, whether it's Harry Byrne or Kieran Frawley to back him up, it's quite hard to say. <laughs> Young dog getting a roar in there. Um, so yeah, Crowley to start. Um, but uh, yeah, Burner Frawley. It's hard to say. My gut says Frawley. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, Faz probably. I think Faz likes his chutzpah. <laughs> I don't know how to describe <laughs> it. He's he's a very feral type of player. Uh, he, you know, he yeah. works very hard. Um, he he does what's required of him in a system and he's versatile as well. Um I think as well with the changeover at ten, we're probably gonna see Gibson Park start at nine. Um I think he's going to want the older head there on the pitch to guide through. I know uh Casey is 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 his partner at Munster and that is a partnership that works very well, but I just don't see Farrell taking um a role with um two fairly young halves starting against uh, a very scary looking French side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's probably a good thing that we have these questions, even though it's a settled squad and people may have their qualms. It's still 
not fully decided either. It's probably not as locked in as it was last year because there are some bolters, which is good to see. And Harley, you watch a lot of URC, and I suppose from your viewpoint, what would be your expectation having looked at the provinces and and having looked at these Irish players coming into this year? Uh, it's a bit of an odd one. Obviously, Munster, you know, not really backed up their heights last season, you know, because of possibly one of the worst injury lists I've ever seen. But, um, you know, Leinster have shown up and maybe not so much in the URC, but in the Champions Cup, getting the Lara Shell monkey on that back, you know, that's going to put a lot of positive to these players that they can compete with big heavy packs. Um, you know, and I mean, Leinster had a few wobbles despite still topping the URC. They, you know, they had some wobbles with the changes in coaching structure. But I mean, it's an incredibly settled squad. So I said 25 players from the World Cup squad. Something um, like that, yeah, 26, yeah, I think. So it's, uh, you know, I think Scotland is the only team with more with a more settled squad going into this. So you, you would expect that, you know, these they should be top two at most, if not if not winning the thing. I think it's a bit of a shame that Ireland France is the first for you know, the first game up of the tournament. So I do feel like the winner's probably gonna be one of those two. But I'm not gonna go out and say it because last time I predicted Ireland to win something, uh, they weren't out in the quarters. So uh, I don't want to jinx you guys any more than that. Don't worry, there was a lot of jinxing that went on, on on these particular airwaves about Ireland and we might get into predictions a little bit later on because there's a lot to get through with the teams and we'll come to France next. They were our champ, Grand Slam champions of 2022, second place last year and they did have their own World Cup agony of course but they look primed this year. Ilted, you're on the ground in France and this is a, a French side with lots of changes, most notably Dupont but do you think there's an expectation of success coming into this championship? I think there's definitely uh, yeah there, there there's an expectation that they have to compete and that they'll fin- they'll they'll finish first or second definitely because of how okay they're not maybe don't seem settled personnel wise and coaching staff has changed a lot but if you compare where French rugby is now compared to where the French rugby has been after so many recent World Cups it's far healthier and far more settled and far calmer which gives the public French rugby public a lot of hope and it also gives uh, Galtier as well something that this is one of his main ambitions was to calm things down really <laughs> bring people together be that at a club level players when they come in to the uh, headquarters in Macrosi uh, whoever is the, he wants to bring people together and, and that's what he's done and by doing that um, there's, there is expectation yeah and expectation can be a good thing especially when there's a little bit of pressure but Probably important to note that they're not playing in Paris this year due to Olympics renovations. So, is there a great buzz across the country with the games moving around? Yeah, so the Stade de France is out of action. The the French national football team aren't allowed to play there either. Um, and yeah, it'll be a bit, a bit, a bit, a little bit like the World Cup, really. And that's something like Captain Gregory Aldrich spoke about um, last week was that he's he's looking forward to doing that again, going to. Marseille this weekend, then Lille against Italy, and then finish off against England in Lyon, which is where they, they played in the in the three stadiums during the World Cup, and they were successful there. <laughs> Maybe that's what they needed to do was play the quarterfinals somewhere else apart from the Stade of France. Um, so yeah, they'll. That's it. there is there's more of a bit of a buzz. The atmosphere in all three stadiums are a bit different as well. Marseille is quite like a southern Mediterranean atmosphere, quite a, a very very um, passionate. I was there for the when they beat South Africa in 2002, November uh, 2022 in November. That was a proper atmosphere. Lyon might be a bit calmer, uh, and then Lyon will be Lyon will be a mix of the two. So um, yeah, three different sort of places, but 
I always like taking rugby to different stadiums, different towns, be that in France, or I'd love to see the Champions Cup final being played in Amsterdam or Lisbon or wherever. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan as well. I think I, I'd second that message myself as well. It's, it is good to see that movement. And as you said, the atmosphere will be different because France have two 8pm kickoffs, Irish time, 9pm local time there as well this year. So that'll add to that bit of atmosphere and they could have a grandstand decider against England and Leon as well, which would be incredible. But before we, we move off yourself into like, there's probably, there there is changes in this squad, but in terms of the dynamic and what to expect over the coming weeks, what kind of players do you think we should be looking out for? Yeah, there's changes generally in the squad, but then if you look at how they're probably going to line up uh, on Friday and, and their first choice team for now, there's only three players missing really from the World Cup quarterfinal. That's Anthony Gelange, Thibaut Flamand, um, and Cameron Wockey, really. Flamand and Gelange injured, and Wockey is a selection. I'm not sure if he's going to start or be on the bench. So there's not too many changes really. Anton Dupont is the big miss, definitely, from that one. Um, he was the fourth player missing from that game. My maths failed me once again. Um, but one. Player who I'd keep an eye out for someone like Louis Bielbarre on the wing, or even more so Nolan Lagaik at scrum half, who um, he'll probably be on the bench uh, against uh, Ireland this weekend. Plays for Racing, 21 years old. Um, he's superb. I'm not going to say he's as good as Anton Dupont, but what he offers is something a little bit different. Where he's got a bit, he's a bit quicker around the rucks. And yeah, as you say that compared to Anton Dupont, it is possible. What he isn't hasn't got as much as Anton Dupont is or as physical as. Around the rugby, he's got speed, and I've 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 watched him play five side rugby on a beach. The things he can do on sand, us mere mortals can't even do on the the, the nicest perfect uh, pool pitch. So yeah, um, not only Garrick, I'm a big fan of him. He probably gets chances now, and I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up starting a few games later on in the tournament once he shows what he can do. And Keen, I was going to ask you about the the French attack, but I think Ilton has just taken it away there because I think Legarek and Bielbiari are two of the guys you wanted to highlight because they are they're exciting to watch, but they're exciting in, in every way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I mean we we've all seen the, the the clips at least, the highlight reels of Bordeaux and Toulouse absolutely tearing it up in Europe and um still that's Saracen's win. <laughs> third and fourth in the top fourteen at the same time. It's it's absolutely they're both both fronts and absolutely no bother to them at all by the seams of it. Um, so instead of going through probably what we all relatively know and talking about it from a, a relatively shallow perspective uh, from my own knowledge base, I went and did a deep dive on the stats. Um, so I put together some attack. I, I had a look at the attack stats for 930 players across the URC, Gallagher Prem and the top 14. Uh, it is excluding uh, the European matches. So it, each uh, oh, each player's shopping. performances are against their own country people. So you could probably actually bump these up for the French sides, frankly. Um now, any of the stats I gave you here, it's top 10% um, across the three leagues. So any number I give you, it's, it's, it is a good indication that they're actually very good at, at that. Um, Penno is probably the headline performer at the moment. Uh, rather obviously, I'd say probably he's uh, sixth overall uh, across all three leagues uh, in try-involvements and try-involvements per 80 minutes. Uh, in carrying, he's 22nd in gain line percentage um, and 27th in dominant carry and 61st in tackle evasion. So basically, it means he can either go around you or go through you. I don't know if that's telling us anything that we didn't already know, but it's definitely confirming it. Uh, he is probably the biggest individual danger man with uh, Dupont. And I think I saw he was about 
double the percentage odds of being the top try scorer in the Six Nations than the next player. <laughs> so the bookies no, It's not even surprising at this stage. No, it's not. It really isn't. He is uh, ridiculous. Um, a lot of focus on Dupont's replacements. Um, both are worries. Luke is 53rd for try involvements and 45th for tackle evasion. Probably the calmer of the two heads. Good distribution, kicking and defence. But I also had Legarek, um bookmarked. Um, yeah, he's young, but he is so potentially dangerous in attack. He is first in try involvements across the three leagues. 12 try involvements so far this season. Um, 17th in try involvements per 80 minutes. Um, 46th for number of carries, but 13th in tackle evasion percentage as well. So you put together uh, those try involvements of the tackle evasion percentage, you can kind of see what uh, what an evasive player he is and how effective he can be with it. Um, likewise, uh, pressure on Jalabert to deliver with the absence of Entomac. Um he, in the carry, he's 11th overall in total carries, so he does take on a lot of ball himself, um, and 22nd for tackle evasion, so absolutely, even even if you take the uh, kick and pass out of it, he's certainly able to threaten the line. Uh, so, overall context, out of the 14 backs France have named, 7 are in the top 10 for try involvements, and 7 for tackle evasion percentage across all three leagues. Uh, so, if the forwards can give them kind of any kind of platform to work with, um, they have the individual weapons to generate line breaks from wherever they are across that back line. So, it looks like they might not miss DuPont as much as some of us might have hoped. Hope is, is the key word there. Um, <laughs> Ilted, you're watching these guys um, every week. Is there is there anyone else that comes to mind when you when you hear those numbers? No, I just think uh, Peno, it's interesting because he's three tries away from South Blanco's overall France record. Um, uh, and Peno is still in his twenties. <laughs> it just um, shows how talented he is, and how okay his personality is a bit crazy. He's a bit uh, he's got a few screws loose in his head. Let's just say that he likes to have a bit of fun off the field. He's not the most serious person when training, but when it comes to it, he scores tries, and he's so efficient. And he's he's at a he's at a Bordeaux team who uh, are going places, surrounded by other players. In the France backline as well, Lucou Jalibert, uh, Moefana, Biel Barre, and Nicolas Deporter, who won't be on the bench again, but he's part of the the, the training squad. So, yeah, um, yeah all eyes on Damien Penault, and I'll put my money that I put on him buying a baguette over the next couple of days will probably go on Damien Penault breaking Blanco's record during the Six Nations. Yeah, I, I could see that happening. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, we, we won't get into the where our money's going to go or, or anything like that, but like it's jamming better. <laughs> you kind of just have to simplify it sometimes as well. And from the, the French flair to the more, well, I think last year was described as tur- turgid England, who somehow finished highest of the Six Nations in the World Cup last autumn. Harley, I'll start with yourself because. Some might say they fluked their way through it last year, but it certainly feels like the loss of Owen Farrell, Ben Young's, Courtney Laws in particular, not only will shake things up, but they're going to be huge losses, irreplaceable lads, and they have to evolve now. They've no other choice. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, as you point out, Courtney Laws for me is probably one of the big ones because I think he's been single-handedly dragging them, kicking and screaming through games at times. And if you look at the form he's in for Saints at the moment, it's, you know, unbelievable. You know, is the best, <laughs> but what 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 they have brought in the two uncapped blindside flankers who I rate quite highly. So Ethan Roots, formerly of the Ospreys, because if England needed a top level flanker, they go to the Ospreys for them. Uh, and then Chandler Cunning South. So unfortunately, one of the victims of a London Irish folding, but it's found new lease of life in 
Harlequins, I think he's, you know, two very abrasive. They're not the, the sort of rangy line-out thrower, but they're all, you know, very big, very physical, which allows them to be a little bit more lighter in the, in the second, in, you know, in the second row of the pack. Uh, new captain, Jamie George, who I think I think that's actually a really inspired choice from Borthwick because, one, he won't take him off the pitch anyway unless he's dead. And, two, he's going to, you know, and he is an incredibly well-spoken leader amongst the group. Um. You know, some of the backs they've having to throw in because we don't have Owen Farrell, we don't have Manny Tulangley, or Lawrence has pulled out injured as well. He's had to pick cent you know, he's had to pick some centres and back three players who are a lot more who are less about physicality, more about actually playing the ball and going wide. That being said, there's he might still go for ten man rugby. I I don't know. Oh, uh, you know you, you know, yeah. I think both but I think Borthwick's got you know, he's tried to go for solid foundations which got him to third third place in the World Cup. I mean the draw had an awful lot to do with that, but you know, I mean, at the end of the day, he he, you know, basically took the poor thing. Now, when we talk about Ireland and Scotland being the least changed squad, this is the most changed squad. There's only seventeen players, so um, it's going to be quite interesting to see how this goes through because it, they they could win the whole thing or they could come last. It's I'm not entirely sure which way which way they go. One name yeah. I do want, if he does get game time, because I can't, I'm not sure he necessarily will. I'd say Finn Smith could be an interesting one because, yeah. whereas Marcus Smith's grabbed loads of headlines for being really flashy and really tight, although he's rounded off. Finn Smith is already that almost te- you know, what you know, what you'd call a test ten. You know, he knows when to play and he knows when he needs to just kick to the lo- kick to the corners. And I think that is something that you do need. You know, you definitely do need at international level. Flash plays are great until shit goes wrong. So uh, it's going it. it's gonna be an interesting squad, but yeah, I think it's it's also actually even as a Welshman, it's quite exciting to see what happens. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of eyes on England this year, and I feel like it's not as as worrisome as it was last year. I think it's fair to say, Gavin. I'll, I'll come to you next because I know you talked about England in your your preview podcast, the forty two this week, but certainly a lot of players in form, you know, gathering a bit of momentum, you know, individually, but also off the back of the World Cup. What would be your expectation for them? My expectation for them would be that they will still finish third and it might feel a little bit underwhelming, but I think there are good and bad thirds, aren't there? It's all about context. And if you see evidence of progression in their game, and I think it's almost aesthetic, stylistic progression as much as anything, just to make them or to have them being a little bit more enjoyable to watch for the likes of us on this call or your listeners. Then maybe it's, it, and say if you blood the likes of a Finn Smith who Harley mentioned there, then maybe you can take the successes out of that tournament or frame it as being a, a success and a step in the right direction. My, uh, like they're the biggest mystery of the tournament to my mind. And it, for all of the, Selection dilemmas that Harley outlined, I would say particularly in out half, where I think Finn Smith is just a better rugby footballer than Marcus Smith, even though he doesn't sort of um, garner the same level of media attention. And I guess because the turnover in their squad has been so big, I'm kind of curious as to whether there are enough of those core players remaining that they would feel instinctively as though they should revert to type and go back to what was successful during the World Cup because a big, not a big issue, but like certainly a challenge for Bordwick and his coaches would have been if they are going to progress England beyond what they were at the World Cup. It's, you know, it might be a little bit more difficult to get buy-in from players when they can just point towards the fact they came third in that tournament and it was actually highly effective. You know, your muscle memory would probably almost uh, refer you to what worked last time. And because the turnover is so big, 
and even losing the likes of Farrell, Laws, like really experienced guys, vocal guys, it feels like Borthwick has a little bit of a blank canvas this time around, doesn't he? And yeah. I know you mentioned it in your notes, Kalon. It, it almost feels as though this is the start of his tenure in a way and, and almost like um, age one, even though he's already taken them to third place at the World Cup. And I would say the age profile of the squad, some of the players that Harry mentioned, Har- uh, excuse me, Harley mentioned that he's brought in, like you'd imagine some of those guys would be quite malleable. And this could be the first time we see an England that actually plays in the image of, of Steve Bortwick as he sees it. And I don't really know what that looks like. Like, does it look like his Leicester team or does he have kind of a grander plan? And, um, and maybe more artistic ideas as to how his team plays. Like all of those questions are unanswered, but I can't wait for them to be answered over the next two months. Yeah, and there probably is a lot of questions, but you know, you could look at it and say, will they expand their game? But then they've no Lawrence and he's a huge loss in their midfield. But on the flip side of things, they do start with Italy, then Wales at home, and then the Calcutta Cup game against Scotland. So they essentially have four weeks together before they have a game that you feel like they might actually lose. And that's not trying to be disrespectful to, to Italy or Wales, but you know, the momentum's a huge thing in this championship. We've always spoken about it. And I, I want to move through the, the teams quickly enough so we can get an overall summary later on. But if you want to talk about momentum, it's like Scotland had none in the back half of the year last year. I think it's fair to say they limped out of the world cup and like Keane, we mentioned it's a, it's a settled squad, but yet it feels like they, they need, and I mean need results at home against England and France. And because they're essentially the only teams they know how to beat. Yeah, but they're the only teams they need to know how to beat to put together probably the best historical run they've had in the last 20 years. Uh, You know, it's still probably the best Scotland squad they've had in decades. And, and, you know, yeah, going out in the World Cup will have hurt the way it did, that they they did go out. Um, But that settled squad now and the advantageous fixture lift list is definitely going to help them you know um their uh their recent performances against uh france and murrayfield are good in the last seven times now they've played at home to france they've only lost twice um, and only one of those is a six nations match and they've been stronger hoodoo over england so they've only lost to them once either home and away in the last six games since 2018 um with the one result being a draw in 2019 um, so yeah, England and Wales going through rebuilds and Italy being a perennial dark horse, uh, you know, there's, and sorry, yes, they possibly going to have the most experienced fly half starting in the Six Nations uh, across all the teams, which is a weird thing to say about Finn Russell. Um, I Should hear, we I, drop in the message joke here or will we wait till no, later on? <laughs> no, I'm not going to bother. They've just been done to death. It's an absolutely done to uh, death. Yeah. So. And it'll happen more if one of the matches goes against them. So, um, but I can see a route to a decent result for Scotland. But the, I mean, the thing about it is that first they'd have to face their greatest enemy, inconsistency. Uh, you know, if they can play consistently to their abilities and Finn can consistently unlock their back line, then they've got a real chance. But, uh, you know, yeah, they know how to beat the two most difficult sides they'll face in the first four games. But can they execute? That's the question. Uh, you know, back-to-back results uh, against a, a French side that has plenty of scares, <laughs> even without Dupont. And yeah, an England side that's a lot of question marks over, but they were able to make a limited game plan work really well. It's a tall order. It's a very tall order. Yeah. 
Ilsa then, I think what Ian essentially described was an enigma. And that's what Scotland have been for quite some time. And, and Finn Russell, like he's a maverick player and he's kind of epitomizes it. But do you think they can break down that glass ceiling this year and, and be spurred on from, from the World Cup heartbreak? Yeah, I've just started watching the uh, Netflix series on the Six Nations or the Net Six Nations. I might start calling it from now on. Um, and uh, yeah, first episode is when talk about the messy Finn Russell, et cetera, and his relationship with Gregor Towns. And then you kind of, I've been lucky enough to spend a bit of time in Scotland when they've been over in France. So I went going to watch games over in Edinburgh. So you get to feel, you get to hear, you get to get what Gregor Townsend is like. And um, he's quite a likable guy to a certain extent. When you've got a 10 like Finn Russell, anything can happen. I enjoyed watching and covering him when he was at Racing. Um, and he's another really, really likable guy. I'm so glad that he's people have been able to see his personality because he has got one and he's got a really affable one, which, yeah, really good to see. Um, but last year's World Cup was tough because they were in, in, in the pool of death. Um, I hope they do move on for it and grow and they've probably got one of the most settled sides, maybe not numbers-wise, but you get the impression they're starting 15. They haven't had a massive turnover, really, of what's happened. The captains you having co-captains, Rory Dage and... Finn Russell in there. Um, the, the the back row is, in, I didn't realise how strong depth they have. Even someone like um, Andy Christie, who's been doing well at Saracens, might not even get into the, 20, into, into the 23, which is incredible. So if you've got a good back row, then winning ball and keeping ball and getting over the game line should be sorted. And then it's just what you do with that ball. And um, yeah, we'll see. But um, Scotland are a bit like Bordeaux, Begley and French everywhere. They play great rugby. They win a lot of games, but where where are the trophies? You know, and where's the okay? The Calcutta Cup is is fantastic, and but really, do you want to be judged on one game every year, or do you want to be that team who won Scotland's first ever Six Nations despite winning the Five Nations in '99? So yeah, um, after Ireland and Scotland, after Ireland and France, Scotland are best are best place to win this. It does. It does feel like that, and it's it's still hard to know. But they could do it, and I feel like this is where the kind of divide. There's always a divide in the Six Nations between top and and kind of bottom. I feel like this is where it kicks in now is after top four. Then there's a bit of a jump towards Wales, and we're lucky to have yourself, um, yourselves Harley and Ilse on to give that perspective. And Ilse, I'll come back to you because like there's no there's no doubt a talent of the younger players, but then. Like just looking at the names that dropped out in the last year or so, Ken Owens, Alwyn Jones, Dowie Lake, Jack Morgan, Justin Tipperick, uh, Talupe Falta, Dan Bigger, Lee Halfpenny, and of course, Lewis Reese Zamet now. Like, you, you just have to have a bit of a call for patience in this rebuild because that is some amount of talent to be without. Yeah, you need a maths degree or to be a PhD even to figure out all the numbers of caps that have gone and left. And uh, yeah, just. I don't want to be doom and gloom because Welsh rugby is in a very difficult place because of the serious mismanagement of the Welsh rugby union, be that at a, a regional level, a lower club amateur level, or even a national team level, um, allowing this to be where we are, really, where there's a lack of succession programming with players after 2019 World Cup. And this is where we are now, four years down the line, uh, or five years down the line, with a, with a list of backs, some of them who haven't, even got a dozen senior appearances um, for the regional club side. So, yeah, things don't look great at all. We need a bit of patience. The Welsh Republic needs to be patient. 
Um, it was a big shock to see Louis, Louis Rizamit not there, but hey, hats off to him. And I, I wish him all the best in the NFL training uh, pathway. And um, yeah, I, I fear it might be a difficult one for Wales, uh, the Six Nations, and I hope Warren Gatland uh, gets the patience he deserves and also um, realises that um, like, Will Welsh Republic can be patient and want to be patient, but he also needs to let's play some rugby properly and not just try and play South African rugby because Welsh people aren't South Africans. That's true as well. And Keen, I might just come to you for a minute because like so often we mentioned momentum earlier, but your run of fixture is important. Like they've got Scotland at home in Cardiff. They haven't lost in a six nations game at home to Scotland and Cardiff before England and Twickenham is tricky. Ireland and Dublin is tricky. They've traveled to Lille to play France and then they close with Italy who, of course, they famously lost it two years ago in Cardiff. It's hard to see where they're going to pick up that bit of momentum unless they just kind of stay in games, which, to their credit, Gatlin teams have always done. They've always stayed in the fight. Yeah, you're you're not wrong there at all. Um, it is, it, it's a very tough one to generate uh, any kind of momentum from that fixture list. But, I mean, we've seen Wales teams do this against the grain in the past. Uh, and it doesn't momentum always starts from somewhere um, and as you said like it's a Scotland side that consistency is there is there is there kryptonite like uh, so is it possible that they could end up chucking one away in Cardiff the opener yeah absolutely because we expect them to win so they'll do the opposite um, and likewise, you know, Wales are definitely in a tricky spot. Um, but they have consistently defied all expectations of what uh, should and could happen on on a rugby pitch, and especially in the Six Nations. So they could take an a, a scrap of momentum from from one win at home, uh, where they can make it grow from there. An English side we don't know what to make of as of yet. Um. A French side that could be reeling from a a, a, a thunderous uh, beating at the hands of the Irish, <laughs> hopefully, um, or you know they could be terrifying. But anything can happen on a rugby pitch, and um, Wales, and especially Gatlin's management of Wales, he can take absolutely any kind of momentum and make it work. I should probably add. I think I got that wrong. They are at home to France, which. I think I got that one wrong there, which to be fair, they've they've had a good record home to France in recent years. You know, they in France's Grand Slam year they made it very, very difficult for them. Um and in Cardiff, you just you just never know. And that support is probably important, Harley, because like it is hard to have too much expectation, but if they can make Cardiff into a fortress over the next twelve to eighteen months, then that's could be where your momentum comes from, especially with a coach like Gatland who who knows how to nourish talent, who knows how to, to live off this, these intangibles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I can echo, um, I'm not saying this just because I'm a Cardiff fan, but it, it gives me a story of, I think Gatlin needs to take a bit of, um, take a leaf out of Matt Sherrock's book at Cardiff, who basically said at the start of the season, was like, well, we're in this situation, we're going to be bringing through young players, it's going to be painful, just bear with us. And I think if, I think if Gatlin's open and honest with the Welsh public, they are going to see that because it's something we've been crying for. That said, I think, you know, there are going to be certain expectations, you know, like we don't lose to Scotland at home. 
we don't lose to Italy at home. You know, I mean, I know we did two years ago under the Pivac area, but most Welsh people want to just imagine that's some weird cheese dream that you know those those three years never happened. So I think you know I think we've got to be careful. But we've spoken a lot about players we've lost, but some of the players that we're bringing through, um, so like as David Jenkins as captain, you know, rated very highly at Exeter. You know, he was captain in you know a senior men's team at nineteen. You know, that's unheard of. You know, big yeah. Again, I'm going to. Bring some of these new players because they're Cardiff players, but also genuinely like Alex Mann is fantastic. He looks like the rebirth of Dan Lydiot, who caused the Six Nations so many problems over the years. You know, we've got, you know, when it comes to experience, we've got you've got the extremes of George Northall and 109 caps, and then we've got five uncapped players, including one in the, including a tight head prop. So our most experienced tight head prop has less than 25 caps. And is always injured. It's a really weird position to be in, and that's um, with the tight prop. That's probably our biggest worry point. And then at fly half, we've got one out and out fly half, and then two four back fly. It's it's going to be a crazy thing for us to get anything out of it. Will be brilliant. But what I'm hope, what I'm thinking of is, you know, what's what is it going to be like in the twenty twenty five six nations, twenty twenty six, twenty seventy seven? Those are that's where you know we want we're expecting to see stuff. But that, that's not to say we don't have the talent there. You know, we've, we've shown, and Gatland, probably more than any any coach, certainly from Wales, has been better at making the team better than some of their parts. You know, and he's a coach who believes that, you know, the true success of a team is to be better than expectations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I th- he says he might surprise, we might surprise some people. I mean, to be honest, just finishing fourth or third will be a surprise to him a lot, I think. But just while we have you, um, I'll start to say fairly. Where do you think they will finish? Fourth or fifth? Is that what you're thinking? Um, I, I, th- I think, I think fourth. I mean, in the past couple of Six Nations, two wins is enough to get third. Because I think, as I know, people talk about it as a top four. I think it's anything. It's probably more of a bottom four with Scotland just about pushing through. Might be different this season, but you know, I think we're just going to be in that fight. I think if we can get the wins against. Scotland and Italy, and then have good showings against France, who at home, you know, it's taken moments of genius from Dupont or Untermatt to to get over the line. Um, yeah, I, I, I've got very little expectation of Dublin away, because even in peak Gatland time, that's just a place we don't perform well in. Never mind win. So, and yeah, I think I think third would be the absolute best, but we're probably going to be fifth, I reckon. Ilta, what do you think for Wales in terms of a number? Yeah, I don't know. I can see us beating England but losing to Italy sort of thing. (laughs) And there's a part of me that wouldn't mind that at the same time. But no, results-wise, I don't... Generally, I don't mind what happens to Six Nations Wales. I want to see some of these young players being given a chance to play the way that they want to play, express yourselves. Because modern rugby, you have to play expansive rugby. You can't win games by trekking up with a big 12 and hoping your fly off kicks goals you have to play a, li- a little bit at least show a bit of something and that's what something that Cardiff have done this season impressively even the Ospreys who have traditionally a good pack also like to play a bit and um, yeah so I'm looking forward to see the performances more than results but um, yeah if we beat England and lose Italy I won't be too uh, disappointed either We'll round things off with the Italians then who have a new head coach, Gonzalo Caseda, and they, they're coming off a massively underwhelming World Cup after what was a positive Six Nations this time last year. 
Gavin, it's it's not all bleak, like especially when you look at Benetton, who are second in the URC at the moment, which is phenomenal. But it's hard to give too much optimism when they start with England, who they've never beaten, Ireland in Dublin, who they never lay a finger on, and then France in, in Leeds. Yeah, it's funny because it would feel as though for Italy to revert to the standards they achieved in the last year's Six Nations would be almost an overwhelming success given how far they seem to have fallen off during the World Cup, right? And if you look back at that last Six Nations campaign, I don't think they lost any game by more than a couple of scores. Like, there were a lot of sort of eight, nine-point defeats, even in tough away games. And it felt as though, as you were saying, they were um, coming into the World Cup on the right footing. And, like, for Kazada, there's loads of really talented players for, there for him to work with. I know we're going to be talking about some of our players to watch later on, but even some of their own cap guys... Um, I'm thinking of uh, Alessandro Isakor from Benetton, Ross Vincent, who's coming in from Exeter Chiefs, two back rows, two big behemoths, bruisers. And I suppose with Italy, when you look at their back line and some of the options they have available to them there, probably especially uh, Paolo Garbisi, Tommaso Manicello is back as well after that horrible injury that ruled him out of the World Cup. Um, Andre Capozzo, naturally enough. like They probably have a back line that can hold parity or reach parity with most test teams in the world it's usually their pack that is just a little bit lighter a little bit short in quality like real game changing quality and when they're bringing through guys I've seen a lot of Isakor uh, in the URC I've seen less of Vincent but heard really good things about his ball carrying and maybe in order for them to actually take the next step eventually Italy in, in their Six Nations journey if you want is just to have like more powerful back rows and, and I like the idea of them blooding a couple in this tournament and just becoming a little bit more of a complete team and when you're starting from such a low web as uh, Gonzalo Quesada is with them it, it can be a nice time as well to blood some of those younger players and um, you're almost like beginning from a place in which you don't have a great deal to lose it takes a lot of the natural pressure off those young uncapped guys if you do look to blood them straight off the bat and like What's a successful tournament this time around for Italy, Kaylon? I mean, I guess they would be targeting that Wales game on paper, but as the boys have just brilliantly outlined, you know, Wales could win against Scotland opening weekend and the trajectory of their season changes. So it's difficult even to earmark one of the games as like a, a big opportunity for Italy. But if they could just get back to being as competitive as they were across the board in the tournament last season, that France game with their first fixture last season, for example, what was it, six points in it? I think that makes for a pretty good start for Quesada. And if you can, you know, add four or five caps to some of the younger players I mentioned there along the way, then a little bit like what Harley was saying about Wales, maybe you're looking at 2025 as a, a bit of an exciting year for Italian rugby. Yeah. And Keen, it's, it's important to, to stress the excitement because like when you do look at Benetton, it's it's really good and like their, their form, but also the depth feels like it's better than it has been for for years now, you look at back row as as Gavin mentioned, like the likes of Zuliani, Canone, Negri, Lamoro, like that's that was their four last year, and yet you do have the likes of Vincent who's who's come in, and it does feel like they're they are taking steps forward, even if they might take a bit of a knock backwards. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, Italian rugby. I mean, yeah, the World Cup was not great, but. I mean, literally the URC this year alone for Benetton, who are the main providers uh, for the Italian team, is, is a massive step forward. And I, I think you can see now 
the work that was done in their underage structures um, a couple of years back is really starting to pay dividends. Um, and even Zebra, like, I know they're they're not doing particularly well on the tables, but they're, you know, their losses are not bad losses. Like they are, they're a lot tighter than they than they used to be. They used to be taking hammerings every single week, and now it is a couple of scores, and there was a couple of tight games in there as well. They are scoring some lovely tries as well. Like, there's nothing but it feels like nothing but forward momentum from the the, the URC clubs. It's a shame they haven't been able to bring more of the uh, of their club system up to URC level and I think that is going to be something that is going to hamstring them for some time to come um, but I think what they do have I know we keep saying this over and over again you know Italy's time is coming Italy's time is coming but it actually does look like it's starting to come through now um, yeah despite that that the World Cup showing which I think maybe the situation with Crowley um, might have had something to do with um, but you know that was all behind closed doors, so who knows? It's not it's not public knowledge like, uh, say, Australia's might <laughs> Australia's situation was. And uh, I'm looking forward to the film actually on that one. Um, but I don't think we're ever going to know exactly what was going on with Italy. Um, there, but uh, yeah, I've got a feeling they're actually going to hopefully get back to where they were the year before last, and maybe a little bit more. And hopefully have the guys from the Fratelli the Rugby podcast back on and over the course of the tournament and hopefully they can give us an insight as well because it does feel like there's, there is that room for excitement. But with excitement always comes a bit of predictions and putting your, your head on the line. So we'll get into that before we wrap things up. Um, Just for the first few, one word, uh, if if that's all you need. Gavin, I'll start with yourself. What's the game you're most excited for? Uh, okay, this is more than one word immediately. Apologies. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> And it's a boring answer. Unfortunately, it is actually Friday night's game. I think the top two for last year, uh, Simon needs to be joined the week when we were on a, a call with Tim from Faro made the point that it's like the two teams are almost playing for second prize, having both disappointed at the World Cup and not reached what most people would have seen as uh, one of several fitting World Cup finals. And just that little bit of uh, variation as well, Kalon, in the sense that you've got Jack Crowley starting for Ireland for the first time in the Six Nations. It's easy to forget he only had three minutes against Italy in last year's tournament. And to be doing so at the Stad Velodrome, where it's going to be arguably, I mean, Iltud will be able to tell you, more loud, even more intimidating is uh, is an interesting thought. We're going to learn a lot about him there. Uh, like, how how many words is that? Sorry. That's the game I'm looking forward to most. I'll keep the other shorter. Apologies. <laughs> No worries at all. Ilta, I'll come to yourself next. What is the game you're most excited for? I'll keep it short. France has England and Lyon because uh, Lyon is France's best food city and I can't wait to eat some mm. good food. Okay, I, I can agree that. with the, the Lyon and the food. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, they're actually, are they playing it in the football stadium or Lyon's home ground? In the football stadium. Because that was unbelievably good for what the Wales Australia game. I I I might even go and watch a football game there because I enjoyed it so much in the, the atmosphere. Harley, I'll come to you for your game you're most excited for so. I I, I could be boring in a, and 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 copy Gavin's answer but um I'm 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 quite intrigued because this this Scotland team should be the most experienced and the most settled. So I'm actually quite excited to see how they fare against um how they fare against France and Ireland. I, I kind of should have jumped in front of you because I was going to say France against Scotland as well. I think every game they've played in the last five years has been a belter. Ireland-France has as well, but like 
it is the first game. There will be that slight bit of sluggishness. By the time France and Scotland face off, it should be very good. Keen, are you going to go for like an obscure choice here? Or are you just going to stick with the status quo? Of course not. It, look, it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's literally the opening game of the Six Nations. It's the one that's happening soonest. It's got the TUI support playing it. It's got one of the best other teams in the world playing in it. Of course it's the one I'm looking forward to the most. It'd be ridiculous for me to say anything else. Fuel that excitement because I'll come back to you. Who's the player you're most excited to watch? Uh, it's actually Legaric. I, I really want to see what he can do on the international stage. I think he's a really exciting player. Yeah. Harley, who's, who are you looking forward to seeing? Um, I'm hoping he gets on the pitch, but I'm really excited. I, I mean, I've already mentioned him, Wax Circle, because he is my man. And that, that is Alex, man. I'm really looking forward to see if he can bring his URC form into into the international stage. I, I'm torn on this one and have been for the last couple of days. I'll just go Irish and I'll just go with Jack Crowley just because like he has a bit of everything, you know, and that's it's the intangible stuff that excites you. The fact that he's he's watching back games the day after a loss, the fact that he's he's very focused, he's very confident, he doesn't let things phase him. I think that's exactly what you need for international rugby. And if you're going for another 10, Finn Smith, if he gets options, if he gets minutes, like man, that, that was so good in, in Thoma Park two weeks ago. Broke my heart, but like he was so so good. Ilted, who do you want to see? Yeah, probably Nolan Legarrick as well. Um, yeah, he'll hopefully he gets a start as well. Not just a few minutes off the bench to really show what he can do. And uh, everyone will be like, "Wow, he's going to be playing with Owen Farrell next season as well at Racing." So yeah, that'll be quite cool. Can't believe it took us this long to get on to the the, the major signing of the year. Um, Gavin, who who do you want to see in this year's championship? Yeah, Nolan Agaric is what I had written down, so I can keep this one extremely correct. Fair enough. I'll come to you again. Go back um, around. I want to see. Do you think there'll be a triple crown winner this year? And if so, who will it be? I think Ireland are a better team than England, Scotland, and Wales, and they should win the triple crown. Yeah, I, I actually don't see. Even if Ireland lose to one of those teams, I don't see one of those teams winning a triple crown. I think uh, all of those, those other three are not like a million miles apart from each other in terms of quality. And I think they can all beat each other on a given day. So, yeah, Ireland for me. Dean, are you saying Ireland? Yep. <laughs> There's one word out there. <laughs> Ireland, are you, which way are you going? Uh, is this for the triple crown? Yeah, please. Yeah, I think it's got to be Ireland, hasn't it? I say Scotland probably the best chance, and every time we say that, they end up getting absolutely pants. So, Ilta, do you think there'll be a triple crown winner, and will it be Ireland again? Yeah, I'll be Ireland. <laughs> triple crown still matters. It's important. It's important <laughs> to get that out there in case France win the Grand Slam. We need to celebrate something. Um, I'll come back to you, Gavin, for a bold prediction if you have one. Bold prediction. I think Wales could finish third. I know that's not especially explosive. (laughs) (laughs) But but I think the two boys and a lot of Welsh fans would take that this year. And I actually have a feeling just, I think they could just nick Scotland opening day. And then they're set up. You're only looking at, I think as Ilton pointed out earlier, one more win and you're nearly there into third. So I just think that, I think Wales might wind up being more exciting than we're giving them credit for and might have a better year than, than some of this conversation might have suggested. That's fair. 
Elton, have you a bold prediction to fire up? Uh, Italy to be the best attacking rugby because Gonzalo, what Gonzalo Casada did at the Jaguares and what he tried to do at Stafford say attacking wise was really cool to watch. So yeah, Italy to not I'm not going to say Italy going to score the most tries of anyone, but they might play the most with ball in hand. Yeah, I can see that. I I have a feeling that Scotland either comes second or fifth. I don't know why that's my bold prediction <laughs> in my head, but like. It would be a very Scottish thing to do, so I'm going to go with that second or fifth for Scotland and watch as they come fourth now, just to spite me on points difference or something. Harley, have you a ball prediction for us? Uh, I reckon whoever wins out of Ireland, France, is still going to win the tournament, but they're going to slip up to either in England or Scotland to uh, to not get the Grand Slam. That's a lot. Not many people have said that, so. That's that's very bold in, in the grand scheme of things. And Keane will will finish with yourself. What's your bold prediction for twenty twenty four? No wooden spoon for Italy. But oh. I'm not going to say what team I think is going to come last. <laughs> I think it's Wales. Then. I'm not going to say. <laughs> Listen, there's no Scotsman on this podcast. If you want to just throw them under no. the bus, <laughs> no, 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 no. It might not be Scotland. Ah, uh, Keane, I'll come back to you. I was going to just do champion, but give me your table. Um, your winner, if there's a Grand Slam, just run through it for me. Okay. Um, I think Ireland is going to win it. I don't think there's going to be a slam. Okay. That's historical. There's a decent enough chance of it, but I don't think there's going to be a slam. I think uh, France will come second. I think... I think Scotland could well come third. You have to say it now. I think. I, 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 <laughs> we won't judge you. It's fine. Scotland could compare it, but I'm I'm not so on Scotland still. Uh, no, I can't. I honestly can't. I can't do past two. It's it's too much of a toss up. Shocking. For me to do on the fly. So I'm sorry. Can't be done. Italy third as per rugby Kino you can put that all over Driller <laughs> Harley um, what's your lay of the life for 2024 um, so I'm just just to you know make it so that it's not just five blokes agreeing with each other uh, I'm going to go France first again no slam just purely because it's at home then Ireland then I'm going to go with Scotland Wales Italy and England ooh <laughs> that's I need to clip that up. Really, really <laughs> need to clip that up. I think I can't wait to be added constantly when uh, when Wales can bottom. But you know, I've, I've got a. If you got a chance to put England at the bottom, you're gonna. That's true. That's true, and it is it is kind of a coin toss to be fair. Like it could go either way. If if Italy do find form, I'm gonna go with um, Ireland. No slam. I think they'll lose to France. They'll win in Twickenham, and you know, win their way out and. Scotland to beat France, I feel like in Murrayfield. I feel like that could be that could well happen. Um so Ireland, France, Scott Ireland, France, I go England, then then Scotland, then Wales, then Italy, I feel like. Yeah. Despite what I said earlier. But like, you know, it's Scotland. You know, you can't really <laughs> bet on them. Ilted, what's your um what's your table? Oh, I don't know. I hate these sort of predictions. Um <laughs> I'll go France, no Grand Slam, Ireland second, Scotland third, and then fourth, fifth, sixth. I haven't got a 
clue. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> We're just going to say three people didn't pick Italy to come last because technically <laughs> we didn't. So it's fine. <laughs> Gavin, I'll, I'll go to you last. Do you want? Do you want to not put Italy last just for the sake of harmony in this group? Well, Harley put England last, didn't he? Yeah, and Keane never answered, and Ilta never answered, so technically Sorry, yeah, they yeah, didn't yeah. come last. Um, I mean, yeah, I do have them coming last, tragically. Uh, I, I would say France, no slam, then Ireland. I, I do like your suggestion there, Caelan, about um, France beating Ireland opening weekend and Ireland somehow winning a championship. That is very conceivable. Uh, but I think France, with their own points to prove, will um, might go on a bit of a, a marauding run through this championship. And I, I agree, Scotland away is very tough for them, but points difference possibly France winning a championship for me and then Ireland and then huge regrets about my ball prediction but I'm locked in on Wales at third and then Scotland then England and then our Italian friends with a lot of losing bonus points okay that 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 that's not too bad Poor Felix Jones. I really hope he's not listening. That's, that's the only real English uh, <laughs> representative I really care about at this stage. But gentlemen, it has been brilliant. We'll leave it at that. Thank you very much for taking the time this evening to look ahead to the championship. So thanks to Gavin Casey, Daffod, Keenan Miller and Harley Worthy for tonight's brilliant show. Thanks for coming on, guys. Pleasure. Pleasure. Cheers, Kano. For those of you at home, the My Life in Rugby series continues this week with episode three, bringing a Six Nations feel. I chat to legendary commentator Ryan Nugent as we reminisce about his career behind the microphone. And then on Thursday, we will have our first big game preview of France against Ireland, of course. And we'll round it off with our weekly review show on Sunday, as always. So thanks home to everyone at home for listening and to the lads again for coming on. If you do like what you see or hear, we'll have plenty of this coming across the championship. So please do like, subscribe, leave a review. It all makes a huge difference. And you can find the links for my stuff as well as the lads um different social media pages and platforms across on the description but for now and until next time happy sixmas as, as cringe as that sounds to say enjoy the <laughs> six nations and until next time please do take it easy as long as fall sports social podcast network